the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth Leibson. Happy Tuesday, July 26, 2022. I'll do my monologue in a moment. Here's the phone number if you'd like to join the conversation. 602-508-0960. Honestly, some days I don't know if I'm watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers or the Stepford Wives playing out in real life and real time especially in Washington, D.C., especially in the Democratic Party. The seemingly forced confessions about essential nonsense and the import and seriousness they are given is truly nothing short of flabbergasting. Or, as Professor Hadley Arks likes to put it, we are witnessing exquisite rituals of essential meaninglessness. Here is your vice president of the United States today speaking at a roundtable on disabilities where everyone around the table spoke of their pronouns and the color of the clothing they were wearing. Here is Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, Good afternoon. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. She tells us she's a woman. She tells us what pronouns she goes by. And she tells us the color of her clothing. Chris Rufo put it this way. It's stunning to watch the language of gender ideology capture institution after institution all the way to the vice presidency of the United States. This isn't about pronouns. It's about signaling and then setting the expectation for ideological submission. Now, the first thing one would think is at least we have a Washington, D.C. Democrat who is finally comfortable in knowing what a woman is. But then again, it's a bit surprising she needs to tell us that she is one. The second thing the mind concentrates on is that we need an English, lesson, an English lesson on what pronouns go with what common nouns, like the fact that she would go with the word woman. I think we usually learn that, or most children learn that, around the age of two and a half. So we're either being infantilized, or we've arrived at a point in our society where we now need the Vice President of the United States to make up for the learning loss of roughly 30 years of lousy education So lousy, it missed all the fundamentals. But of course, too, then we also know this isn't what's actually going on. What's actually going on is what Rufo said, ideological submission. But it won't work. And Kamala Harris, ever the bright one, ruined it for her side by telling us she was wearing blue clothing. How does that ruin it? Well, To tell us she is wearing blue is to tell us something as obvious as what a woman is and that the proper pronoun for a woman is she. 
something we usually would not need to be told, something an adult would not normally need to say, unless you were teaching perhaps an adult English emergent class for new immigrants. We've been down this road before, but it seems worth speaking to again. That nagging point about her telling us she was wearing blue. Why is blue a fixed thing and not subject to anyone's definition the way, say, we are told the word woman is? May I repeat that? Why is the question, what is a woman debatable or open to self-definition and caprice, but the question of what is blue really isn't? Well, we were taught in every language and every culture ever teaches that blue is a primary color that has certain properties, and thus we can all recognize it or even imagine it without visibly seeing it in front of our faces, kind of like it used to be with the word woman. We call this the miracle of the common noun, and it's what separates us from the animals, or used to. If woman is subject to, well, a subjective definition— There's no reason someone wearing green couldn't say they, too, are wearing blue. So Kamala Harris is relying on truths she doesn't know exist while crashing her philosophy into the wall of common sense. We used to call someone confused on color to be colorblind. Yesterday, that was a goal for civil rights, colorblindness. Today, it no longer is, and we are supposed to see color. To say one is colorblind, Ibram Kendi teaches, is to be a racist. So to see color in humans. But how can we do that if we can't see sex or gender as equally definable and fixed in humans just as color is? Aristotle put it that man is different than beast or God because of his ability to communicate reason through language. But, of course, that language needed to be based on common understandings based on unassisted reason. Or as Harry Jaffa put it, the fact that the form of a thing can be separated from its matter is the very heart or at the very heart of human understanding and human intelligence. Without this possibility, modern science itself would not be possible because all science presupposes the detachment of the mind from its object as a condition of human speech about the object. I'll illustrate. Human speech about an object presupposes that we employ common nouns. To say, as we've done before, for example, that what I'm sitting at is a table or desk implies that there are an infinite number of possible tables or desks, each different from the one I'm sitting at, and yet they are all equally tables and desks. They are not, say, chairs or elephants. The mind abstracts the idea of the table and desk from the visible forms of particular ones just as the eye abstracted the visible forms on their matter. We can test this. When I said I'm sitting at a table or desk, you in the audience knew what I was talking about, and you all probably had a vision of some different kind of table or desk from one another. But we all know what I was meaning in saying the words table and the word desk. This applies to humans as well. Another noun we can abstract Only when we see that there is an infinite variety of possible human beings, each equally human, do we begin to understand the difference between the human and the non-human. There is no particular color, for example, that makes a chair a chair, a table a table, a desk a desk, or a human a human, unless you live in a tyranny, unless you distort and change what it means to be a human based on such things as color. 
which is a Herculean task requiring a massive change of not only all history, but every dictionary that was ever written. Once we remember this, then only and only then can we see that men are not dogs or horses or gods, depending on their color or some other attribute of prejudice or immutability. Kamala Harris used to like to speak of her benefiting from the ethics and ethos of civil rights that she benefited from in society, accepting this understanding that all humans are equal and that all humans are equal can only be true if we are unagreed. If we are all in agreement on what is a human in the first place, right? Knowing that, the most seemingly basic of things, then and only then can the moral function of human intelligence begin to function. Or a moral society that takes such things for granted and can only be moral by doing so, can only function in any sense of the word function by doing so. In other words, you can begin to recall now why we have dictionaries. Sure, there are different ones. They're all based on the same etymologies. There are not 331 million dictionaries, one might say. Or maybe today we may not be able to say that. But once this road is paved, you realize if the concept of woman is debatable and the use of its proper pronoun arbitrary, you realize the same can be done with anything, including the color blue, just as war is peace and slavery is freedom. And soon you realize it's not just a constitutional republic you are missing. It's anything like a country that takes seriously its own name if the word united is in it. That's one inherent problem with what we are witnessing take place in this Stepford body snatcher world. The other is what Chris Rufo was getting at with the unthinking Martinet adherence to playing this game of unreason. This is the stuff of communist regimes, as George Orwell put it so well in 1984. Take the work of Václav Havel, a Czech prisoner of conscience in the 1970s who was imprisoned for questioning the communist regime and after the fall of the Iron Curtain would go on to lead the Czech Republic. He posits in a 1978 essay, the green grocer who puts the phrase workers of the world unite on a sign in his front window, even though he may not believe it and certainly wouldn't want his employees to take it too seriously, of course. But Vaclav Havel writes why the green grocer does this, quote, the green grocer declares his loyalty and he can do no other if his declaration is to be accepted. He declares his loyalty in the only way the regime is capable of hearing it, that is, by accepting the prescribed ritual by accepting appearances as reality, by accepting the given rules of the game. In doing so, however, he has himself become a player in the game, thus making it possible for the game to go on and for it to exist in the very first place. He goes on, quote, ideology becomes at the same time an increasingly important component of power, a pillar providing it with both excusatory legitimacy and an inner coherence. As this aspect grows in importance and as it gradually loses touch with reality, it acquires a peculiar but very real strength and it becomes reality itself, close quote. This was the goal of Big Brothers, wasn't it? The new dictionary and new ideology brings a new legitimacy and inner coherence, but only after it abandons or loses touch with reality. Look at the byplay between O'Brien and Winston in 1984 on the enforcement of admitting to 2 plus 2 equaling 5. 
But Mark Vaclav Havel's most important words in the, essay, in the essay, to become a player in the game makes it possible for the game to go on and exist in the first place. So my pitch is that we stop the game here and now and call it out for what it is. A tyranny not just in our country, but a tyranny of the mind and over the mind. A tyranny that we've been too blithe about, but has now captured the most elite and powerful in this country. Connecticut is a fine state and a wonderful place to live, I'm told. But let's not make the whole country Stepford. It ends with terrible violence. Which is no surprise, as our very founding required some violence to establish a country based on self-evident truths in the first place. Truths we seem no longer to cherish, much less value. Confucius put it that when words lose their meaning, people lose their liberty. Just so. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It dawns on me that song has something in common with Meatloaf's I Will Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. It, 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 it leaves the question open. She was what? And he won't do what? You have to listen to the song carefully to understand what they are meaning and what they are saying, because it is in there. For those of you that are tuning in via podcast, we're talking about the Talking Heads song, and she was. Portions of this show are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning. Heating and plumbing. I love this company. Chris Funk and the team, they're great. A-plus rating with the BBB. Never a complaint with the ROC. I've used them. My friends have used them. The customer service is incredible, as is their work, their work product. For any air conditioning or plumbing problems you may have, check out Cool Touch at cooltouch.us. That's cooltouch.us. Or you can give them a call at 623-223-8957. That's 623-223-8957. Eight nine five seven. Um, I hope that uh, when I seize on uh, a thinker that arrives on the scene and looks at things a little bit differently, and hopefully uh, is worth highlighting because it might, if we pay attention to that thinker, it might get us to where we need to go a little bit better than we have before. I hope I'm not wearing out my welcome and citing them. The person I'm in mind of is a Californian physician. He attempted to run for governor. It didn't work, but his name is Michael Schellenberger. Uh, many of you may know his book, San Francisco. Uh, many of you, uh, you're nodding because you probably know him from his appearances on Adam Carolla's podcast. Adam's a big fan. I am too. I am too. Interesting guy. Came from the Soros world. Really actually literally worked. For Soros. And then you know where he went? I don't know which is the frying pan and which is the fire. He went from Soros to Maxine Waters. Right, right. This man's left wing credentials are impeccable. Impeccable. And he is no longer there. He is no longer on the left. Because he moved to San Francisco and he saw what he wrought or he saw what he was working on had led to. There's an interesting interview he's doing on Substack that caught my attention, and it was uh, emailed to me by a friend just based on the title, Why the West is Destroying Itself. Why the West is Destroying Itself. That's a title I will always be at anything that talks about the fall or the decline of the West. 
is going to catch my attention because I think that is the crucial problem of our time, the decline and fall of the West. Uh, Leo Strauss was on to it early on, uh, several professors since then, mostly his students, and now it's become, uh, because unheeded then, uh, it's become uh, a, a, a live grenade in our hands now. Uh, no other way to put it. Anyway, I wanted to run through some of this with you and give you an interesting insight from one George Harrison, uh, formerly of the Beatles, who I had never seen this. And I, I was reading something the other day that made me look this up. It's, it's fascinating. We'll get to all that in a moment. But Michael Schellenberger, who's now a physician, was asked, uh, why is so much, uh, he said, Jim Morrison was once asked, why is so much happening in San Francisco? And he answered, because the West is the best. And the question to Michael Schellenberger was, is the West still the best? Schellenberger answers, it depends on what we call the West. In a way, San Francisco is a, excuse me, in a way, San Francisco is a symptom of Western civilization. So we might ask whether Western civilization is still the best. The interviewer says, what's your answer? Schellenberger says, absolutely. In human history, we've never recorded so much prosperity and freedom as under Western civilization. Our success has led us to forget that it depends on a material reality. We've become ideology, excuse me, we've become ideological, lost in media, lost in a kind of dream world. This started well before social media. He's asked, what is happening now? Schellenberger says, we now see particularly the most civilized parts of civilization turning against civilization and undermining its own bases. We see this in the United States and very dramatically in its western part, where an ideology of de-civilization is being promoted, which is fundamentally a nihilistic philosophy. We see the destruction of some of the great cities of the West Coast, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, caused by people who reject Western civilization but offer no positive alternative. Do you know what this put me in mind of? It put me in mind of Tom Wolfe's essay, The Great Relearning. You hear me cite that phrase a lot. It comes from the novelist uh, Tom Wolfe. He wrote this in The American Spectator way back in 1987. His point, do I have time to run through all this? You know what? I don't. This is important, big stuff, and it relates to exactly what transpired with Kamala Harris and her confusion over the miracle of the common noun. So I will return to it when we come right back uh, after our culture and economy update. As I go to break, let me put in a word for one of our other great sponsors, Re, uh, excuse me, why refi? If you're looking for a unique and great investment opportunity, do check out my friends at why refi. They are my friends and they are investors who do really well by doing good for others. And you can too. They have a fixed no load interest rate up to 10.25% they are offering for investors all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. They are a due diligence approved firm and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I am Seth. We were talking about an interview, Dr. Michael Schellenberger, 
uh, was uh, doing with a uh, Swiss outlet about whether the West is destroying itself. Well, it's actually titled Why the West is Destroying Itself. And we spoke earlier in the hour about some of his observations. He's an expert on what's taking place in San Francisco. And uh, the interviewer says to him, in your book, you write, which is called San Francisco, in your book, you write that calls about human feces almost doubled in San Francisco between 2014 and 2018. And the questioner, the interviewer observes in 2015, a lamppost corroded by urine. And it collapsed and crushed a car. Who knew this was going on? Who knew this was going on? So Michael writes, feces on the sidewalks, tent encampments, people acting like zombies because of hard drugs. These things are not the consequences of poverty. They're the consequence of decadence and wealth. To some extent, you would say this is the end of American civilization. America has succumbed to entropy. It has turned on itself in the way that all empires do. And yet the economy has never been more productive. In that sense, California has potential. I think that determinism is an illusion and arrogant. The late Patrick Moynihan once said that the central conservative truth is that it is culture, not politics, that determines the success of a society. But the central liberal truth is that politics can change a culture and save it from itself. I think that California is ripe for a political intervention. What's important about that is the other side of that coin is that, yes, politics can change a culture and ruin itself as well. I know everyone likes to attribute to um, Andrew Beitbert the phrase that politics is downstream from culture, and Breitbart was great, and that's certainly true. Moynihan is the original uh, author of that thesis when he said that culture is more important than politics, or at least that's the central conservative truth. All of this got me to thinking a little bit about what was being observed by the novelist Tom Wolfe, you know, from uh, any number of books, Charlotte Simmons, uh, The Right Stuff, uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, you know, you know, you know Tom Wolfe. I hope you know Tom Wolfe. Um, Tom Wolfe wrote an essay in 1987 called The Great Relearning. We've talked about it before, but this is what he's talking about in 1987. I'll get to George Harrison's take on this in a moment. Surprisingly interesting take. In 1968, Tom Wolfe writes, in San Francisco, I came across a curious footnote to the psychedelic movement. At the Hyde Ashbury Free Clinic, there were doctors who were treating diseases no living doctor had ever encountered before. Diseases that had disappeared so long ago that they had never even picked up Latin names. Latin names. Diseases such as the mange, the grunge, the itch, the twitch, the thrush, the scroff, the rot. And how was it that they had now returned? It had to do with the fact that thousands of young women and men had migrated to San Francisco to live communally in what I think history will record as one of the most extraordinary religious experiments of all time. The hippies, as they became to known, sought nothing less than to sweep aside all codes and restraints of the past and start out from zero. At one point, Ken Kesey organized a pilgrimage to Stonehenge with the idea of returning Anglo-Saxon civilizations point zero, which he figured was Stonehenge, and heading out all over again to do it better. Among the codes and restraints that people in the communes swept aside quite purposely 
were those that said you shouldn't use other people's toothbrushes or sleep on other people's mattresses without changing the sheets or, as was more likely, without using any sheets at all, or that you and five other people shouldn't drink from the same bottle of Shasta or take tokes from the same cigarette. And now, in 1968, they were relearning the laws of hygiene by getting the mange, the grunge, the itch, the twitch, the thrush, the scroff, and the rot. He goes on and on about this and man's uh, relearning, uh, that the relearning of the basics of things we used to know when the avant-garde thought was we can do away with all common sense. We can do away with all older wisdom. And in doing away with that, they did away with, well, the human condition. I, um, I was reading up on some of this the other day, over the weekend, I should say. And I stumbled across something I had never seen before, ever. The point in bringing up this, this essay from 1987 of Tom Wolfe's and what I'm about to play from, for you from George Harrison, formerly uh, the, you know, the musician, George Harrison from the Beatles. What I want to play from you, the reason I'm doing it is because no one paid attention to what Tom Wolfe was saying. No one paid attention to what George Harrison said. I didn't even know about it until recently. No one was paying attention to what the Michael Schellenbergers of the last several decades before there were Michael Schellenbergers were saying. And here we are. Here we are. Can I play a little George Harrison? I have time, right, Bill? I have a couple few minutes in this segment. Here, Here's George Harrison. You know, I went to hate Ashbury, expecting it to be this brilliant place. I thought it was going to be all these groovy, kind of gypsy kind of people with little shops making works of art and paintings and carvings. But instead, it turned out to be just a lot of bums. And many of them were just very young kids who'd come from all over America and dropped acid and gone to this mecca of LSD. We'd walk down the street and I was like being treated like the Messiah or something. I was really afraid because I could see all these spotty youths and they were still an undercurrent of Beatlemania, but from a kind of twisted angle. And they were, people were handing me things, like this big pipe, like a big Indian pipe with feathers on it and, and books and incense and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And... And trying to give me drugs. You know, I say, no thanks, I don't want it. We were walking quicker and quicker. We went through the park and back out of the park. And in the end, we just said, let's get out of here. And we drove back to the airport, got on the jet. And as it took off, the plane went into a stall. And the whole dashboard lit up saying, unsafe, right across. It certainly showed me what was really happening in the drug cult. It wasn't what I thought of all these groovy people getting, having spiritual awakenings and being autistic. It was like any uh, addiction. So at that point, I stopped taking it, actually. The- he goes on. But if George Harrison is seeing that in what should have been a mecca of what you would think the psychedelic movement and free living could be. He saw that. He saw that it was a lie. Of course, yes, being removed from it, he made money perhaps endowing it and not seeing what was going on until he finally got there and saw what was going on. That's the story of Michael Schellenberger, too. 
Maxine Waters, George Soros moves to San Francisco. OMG, he says, what have we wrought? And now, having gone back to the year zero and people living as if there was no advancement in human knowledge or human science or human education or just the understanding of humanity, dialing that back all the way to zero, we now have to pay people in San Francisco six figures to clean up not dog feces, not cat feces, human feces. And I don't know that we will ever be able to hire enough people to clean up the rest of the human waste that is there. But that is our task. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth, the great Abraham Hamaday, candidate for attorney general, will be coming up at the top of the hour. We're going to talk about his recent op-ed on related issue here. And uh, then, of course, third hour, Hugh Holman. We're going to talk uh, education. You're going to like it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a level of conversation you don't uh, often hear about because we're dealing uh, – I want to deal with, uh, with the education problem in America from a wholesale per perspective rather than a retail perspective. You can't have retail sanity when you have wholesale madness. You just cannot, and that's where we are at, which is where San Francisco, by the way, is at because it's engaging in wholesale insanity and getting retail even worse. Michael Schellenberger, who I think has got the keenest eye on this, who I've been talking about, speaks about what's going on in San Francisco, but it could be L.A., it could be Seattle, it could be Portland, it could be Ninth Avenue in Phoenix, Ninth Avenue in Phoenix. He says, our new goal is to restore civilization and our humanity. Not a weird thing to think we have to do in the year 2022, restore civilization and humanity. That means we must shut down open drug scenes, which require three things. First, we need a shelter first housing earned policy. Everyone talks about housing first. Nope, that's backwards. Subsidized housing should be earned by people who need it as a reward for good behavior, and they should lose it. If they behave badly. Second, we need universal psychiatry with the same approach to psychiatric illnesses and drug addictions as in Europe. Finally, we need to enforce laws. There's a big debate around whether we need to expand the ability to involuntarily commit the mentally ill or addicts. We may need to, but we can provide help just by enforcing the laws. We must deal with the drug scenes and the destruction of our cities before we can move on to other Huge problems, a 33 percent math proficiency rate and a less than 50 percent reading proficiency rate in our schools. Those are numbers in which civilizations die. Those are numbers in which civilizations die by enabling parents to have choice and students to get more personalized education. We can improve academic performance, too. Seems like simple stuff, doesn't it? Enforcing the law telling people they can't live in open-air drug markets and spend the night there, and getting something better than a 33% math proficiency and a 50% reading proficiency. But you notice what the opposite of all those things does? The opposite of all those things, living with, being comfortable with, getting used to this decadence and lack of ability to achieve or even exist at a level of subsistence, you know, this, 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 this is what removes the humanity from the human. You make people illiterate, innumerate, and drug-addled, and you will lose this country. You will lose it. 
the reason I'm so focused on what's taking place in Ninth Avenue is it's growing. We have two choices. Ignore it and let it grow or stop it right now. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.